0: To that wellness podcast with Natalie Deering. I am sitting here today with Dr. Ashley Solomon. Ashley is a licensed clinical psychologist. She is a leadership coach and she's the founder of Gallia Collaborative, which is a great mental health private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio. She helps girls and women know and grow in their power, which is awesome. She also specializes in eating, fertility, anxiety, and career issues amongst probably other things mm-hmm. that you do, <laughs> but welcome <laughs> Ashley to the
1: podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Natalie. So excited I wanted to, to, to share, to
0: yeah, I'm excited for you to be here and, and to talk about your practice and to talk about more in depth about what we call imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and, and everything that comes along with that, especially for, for women in this country specifically. But I wanted to share with the listeners first off just kind of briefly how we know each other, how we came to meet. I met you through the Beauty Boost, which is a a group that I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast and and how I've met other really amazing women doing amazing things. And your practice hosted a workshop on how to be a trauma informed business. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right up my alley, you know, as a mental health therapist as well. And parts of me were really curious about the information that you were going to share about that, because I think no matter if you're in this world of mental health or not, it's always such an important thing to hear, to hear this information as many times over. And so you hosted, I felt like it was like a nice, more intimate group of like 30 something
1: Mm -hmm. female
0: entrepreneurs, and you hosted it in your private practice space, Mm -hmm. which didn't you say that was, you have two in that building, right? Like two locations.
1: Yeah. We have two suites of offices within the same building. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So we were in one of those suites and I remember I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. so pretty. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great job with decorating and making it feel like a safe and inviting space Mm -hmm. yeah that's something that like parts of me really appreciate and something that i really try to Mm -hmm. create in my office as well is just a space yeah when someone walks in they feel like oh yeah Mm -hmm. i can i can relax in here i can Mm -hmm. enjoy the beauty. You yeah know, that's yeah. from the furniture to the lighting and and all of that i feel like there's nothing worse than going into an office and it's the fluorescent lighting and yeah just the boring furniture yeah mm-hmm. yeah so your space is gorgeous and yeah then you shared with us your knowledge on how to be a trauma informed business and and i felt like it was really an important topic to talk about and that's how i came to know you
1: yeah, yeah. I was really glad you could be there. It was a really, it was a really nice night, and um, mm-hmm. I love the discussion that came out of that. It was, it was really interesting to just hear from a variety of different, you know, female business owners about um, how they're working to be really trauma informed.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's what something that I really enjoy about the Beauty Boost is how it's not just for like mental health providers, right? Like it's not just therapists. Right. It's mm-hmm. this huge variety of yep. people. And these really interesting jobs. And I'm always so fascinated when specifically that night at that workshop, I think you had you invited us to each go around and introduce ourselves and share a little bit about what we do. Mm-hmm. And a part of me, you know, during that time was like, This is so cool. I mean, it's just so interesting yeah. to hear all these different types of 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 yeah, businesses and what these women are doing.
1: Yeah. It's really diverse and there people are yeah. doing cool stuff. Which you know, but then when you get everyone in a room and everyone's sharing the cool things that they're doing, it's like it is really inspiring.
0: It is, cuz I think parts of me hear some of these things and I'm like, "Oh, that's a real thing."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: like, "Oh, cool, like someone's actually doing that. Like that's really neat." Mm-hmm. So it helps parts of me that might feel and I feel like maybe we can get into this when we start talking about imposter stuff, but that feeling of like this is what a therapist does and kind of this little box, right. Or yeah, this is what someone does who has this degree or, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point.
0: And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about your practice so the listeners can really get a sense of who you are and how you got to where you're at. Cause your practice is, is a big deal. You know, you have how many people there on staff now?
1: Uh, we have 15 clinicians on our team. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's It's really big. Grown and kind of blossomed been- and you have,
0: you have psychiatrists and you have dietitian and then a bunch of different therapists.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yep. And so do you care to share? Yeah. How did you get to this point where you're on?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I get the really long version or the (laughs) (laughs) version I'll try to shoot for somewhere in between, but I, I, I guess I would start by saying that I have, I have always had the, the value, the mission to, um, make my work about supporting the, the development and the kind of amplification of women's voices. And so, you know, Initially, actually, we were talking about this for a second before we started that in, in college, I had um, initially been studying journalism and really wanted to share women's stories and kind of pictured myself going around the country or around the world and kind of highlighting what was going on and, and really trying to amplify women's voices that way. Um, and as I sort of got further along, decided that I wanted to have more of a direct role and even sort of reshaping women's stories and having an impact on them. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, so studied psychology and, uh, got my doctorate here in Cincinnati at Xavier and really focused my work initially on, um, eating disorders, which is something that had affected my family. Um, and obviously lots of, lots of people around the, around the world that deal with these issues. And so I, was very, very focused in that, um, kind of specific line of treatment for a really long time. And I would say that some of the things that I loved about it was that it was while eating disorders affect people of all genders, um, of course I, I worked primarily with women, um, as a function of of working with eating disorders. That's unfortunately who most often gets treatment, Mm -hmm. um, A lot of, a lot of other populations, they goes untreated, but so work, working with a lot of women and really kind of at this intersection of, of physical health, mental health, um, spiritual health, all of the sort of elements of, um, kind of of ourselves and identities kind of fit into that. And these are really incredible girls and women, of course, who were, had big big plans, big dreams, and were really kind of bogged down in what this disorder was taking from them. And so, um, I did that work for a really long time and then got to a point where I wanted to sort of broaden the, uh, the, the issues that I was working with, but also just to create a practice of my own that was more aligned with, you know, the way that I wanted to live and who I wanted to be and the way that I wanted to support women in the world. And so, Um, so started Gallia about four, four or so years ago, just with myself at first, um, just a solo practice and then, um, started kind of building a team of, you know, like-minded providers who Mm -hmm. do a lot of really amazing work within the women's mental health space. So now we do, um, we definitely still treat Eating disorders. Um, we also do a lot of perinatal work, working mm-hmm. with women kind of across the lifespan from adolescence through menopause and beyond, working with a lot of women who are kind of in transition with relationships or career, as well as as people dealing with um, you know, significant mental health challenges like depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. So yeah. on. So it's been really it's been super fun. And mm-hmm. we get to do a lot yeah. of just we do a lot of individual couples, family therapy, but we also get to do um, a lot of working with like organizations to support the mental health of their teams and employees and um, just kind of be creative with what mental health can look like.
0: Yeah. And that being creative part, I think is really, really a cool, a cool thing that I think you're bringing to the table as a, as a psychologist and a mental health provider And this kind of, again, gets into where I've had to do work with my IFS therapist about parts of me that had questions regarding like, what is again, like, what does a therapist look like? Mm -hmm. What is, what is okay and not okay. Of course we have ethics that we have to follow, of course, but then there's also these new realms like with social media Mm -hmm. that weren't a, a thing like when i was in graduate school it didn't right. really it didn't exist <laughs> you know i think yeah. i still had a nokia phone and uh-huh. maybe a blackberry and mm-hmm. you know it it wasn't social media just wasn't a thing and now we have like instagram and tiktok and and mm-hmm. things like that where we are seeing more professionals like mental health professionals sharing information and resources mm-hmm. and i know you talk like on your website, I think I wrote down something where you said, you, like, you want to harness the power of social media. Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like
0: you do that on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. I don't know. Are you also on TikTok?
1: I I use TikTok for fun, but I don't okay. have a presence on TikTok. <laughs> okay.
0: I don't either, but I know a lot of people yeah. do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah. Instagram, I know, is something that you really harness with your practice, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And how do you feel like that has, what do you feel like has been the impact, I guess, with using Instagram with yeah. your practice?
1: Yeah. I think it's had a, a lot of really awesome and kind of interesting impacts. Um, fortunately, you know, mostly positive, uh, because obviously social media being the, you know, complex kind of beast that it is it can, you know, have a lot of, lot of implications. But for me, I think first and foremost, I mean, even just going back to that, like that journalism major during college, it's really given me just even personally an outlet for writing, um, which is why I've, I've stuck primarily to Instagram um, because I I feel like I can communicate um, through words in particular. And maybe one day I'll get on like the video bandwagon, but, <laughs> but writing is really sort of my forum for like communicating you know ideas trying to challenge some of the social norms um trying to really build community and you know spread some of the messages that I think are really vital for women's mental health in particular so it's been really cool to see just the the kind of community and engagement that's built around that and to and honestly to connect with other providers with like potential uh clients as well um Mm -hmm. i think there's a interesting way of course in which like you know, we sort of know each other through social media without like truly knowing each other, but still there's a level of vulnerability that I think we can feel like a, a sense of connection and what someone's all about. And that's for me and and our practice really led to a lot of great connections with Mm -hmm. like professionally and, and with clients who are kind of seeking services. So that's been great. Yeah.
0: And, and and again, I feel like this is something that is changing with the times, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's. It's not necessarily. I feel like something that like the psychology board has like a. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like there, it's kind of that kind of interesting wild, wild west area. I I mm-hmm. feel like when it comes to what is appropriate, quote unquote, you know, or not appropriate, or all of those things, but and sure, like social media has its its problems, for mm-hmm. sure. It has its issues, and. I feel like we're also seeing within these past number of years, again, how it can be utilized in a positive way
1: Mm -hmm. for,
0: like you said, like getting information out there, having these collaborations, uh, Mm -hmm. getting connected with other organizations,
1: Mm -hmm. other
0: people who who may have never been able to hear about Mm -hmm. you or your practice, right? right? And that it can be this this avenue towards growth and healing, mm-hmm. For sure. and not promoting just continued toxic messaging.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I feel like yeah, you've done a beautiful job of of harnessing that. And now knowing that you were a journalism major, it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> because yeah. because like, yeah. I'm I'm not. Um, <laughs> I I mean, I write a. A once-a-month wellness column for the Northern Kentucky Tribune, and I've done that oh, now cool. for a over maybe a year and a half now. And I parts of me have always enjoyed writing and yeah, and things like that. But it's never been like a hard passion of mine. Yeah. And yeah. so even like the idea of like writing an Instagram post, I have to like really stop and think about
1: it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like,
0: okay, so how do I want to say this? <laughs> and and mm-hmm. but the way you word things. Are very well worded, so makes sense that yeah, you have that passion for journalism.
1: (laughs) I really do. I love it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's great. And so you know, I I, I'm I'm wondering, oh, because the way I came to contact you in regards to talking about imposter syndrome was you also have a an email like newsletter, right? That that you share. That's right. Yeah. And I signed up for that like after I attended your workshop, Mm -hmm. and. This was, I guess, a couple of weeks now you sent out one specifically about mm-hmm. imposter syndrome slash imposter phenomenon. And mm-hmm. that always grabs my attention because, again, of the of the personal work that I've had to do myself mm-hmm. in addressing, you know, the, some of these burden beliefs that that parts of me were carrying from like my childhood and things like that. And so I read that and it was, again, very well written, such great information And I remember I was like, okay, yep, I'm going to contact Ashley and let's see if we can get her on the podcast to really talk more in depth about this, because I feel like this is probably a topic that impacts a lot of people, especially women in our country. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I'm really wanting to hear your perspective on this and maybe a place that we can start is, would you care to share to talk about maybe like is there a difference between like what we call imposter syndrome and Im- imposter phenomenon because i know that was something you mentioned in your article
1: yeah yeah um yeah this is really interesting it's been interesting to me to learn even more recently that um so in- imposter phenomenon was what what we commonly think of as imp- imposter syndrome was developed as a concept back in 1978 by two psychologists. So um, Pauline Clance and Susan Imes were their names. And they really observed both primary starting in their clinical work and working with women, this, this, what they called a phenomenon, which was that women were despite being in um, situations in which they were very capable and um, had all the kind of requisite skills that they needed really felt like an imposter and, you know, particularly in the working world, but in other realms as well. And so they got really curious about this and started to do a little bit of research to examine like what was going on there. And the biggest thing that they discovered, I would say, is that this was like quite a common experience and that, um, there were particular groups of people that tended to experience it more often for specifically like women, um, uh, people in other kinds of marginalized groups, um, especially, although that certainly people of, you know, all, all genders and, um, even in more majority groups can experience it. But, they really noticed how much more prevalent it was. And so they they use the term phenomenon. And what I think is important about that distinction, because it's, it's since become much more often labeled as imposter syndrome, is that when we think about a phenomenon, we think about sort of an experience that people have, whereas a syndrome is a very medicalized term, you know, in our culture. And it. And because of that, it often describes um, something that an individual person has. So one of um, so yeah, one of I think the important points when we start to really look into this experience is how we are kind of conceptualizing whether this is kind of a phenomenon, an experience that exists, um, especially like across people, then and, and that tells us that it's more potentially like cultural and, um, there are aspects to like the, the situation versus a syndrome is like, I'm showing up as somebody, the implication is I'm showing up as somebody who has this issue. I struggle with imposter syndrome. And so that makes it much more about the person themselves. And there are probably elements of both. I think that we know that there's elements of both that kind of come together to, in, in this experience, but I've just particularly been really interested in like kind of getting back to that original conceptualization, which has much more to do with like how does this show up for us kind of as a collective
0: right. and I, and thank you for breaking that down because that makes a lot of sense that it can be it can be both, right It can be like an ifs we talk about legacy burdens, cultural burdens and ethnic burdens and that it can be this big collective uh-huh. experience for a super, for, a you know, a certain group of people, let's say like women and uh-huh. let's say specifically the United States based uh-huh. on our history, right? Like what women have had to go through throughout uh-huh. our history that has impacted as a collective, how a lot of us who you know identify as women experience this world let's say of business right that mm-hmm. there's also like dick schwartz and ifs he talks about like the four different types of cultural burdens in america and one of them being the patriarchy you know uh-huh. and how it can it kind of the united states has kind of been molded with this male dominated mm-hmm. kind of energy and especially in business you know, and I feel like lately it's been shifting. There's been a lot more articles where people are, are writing about how, you know, women are kind of dominating now, like colleges, Mm. universities, graduate schools, and, and, you know, and so I feel like it's, it's shifting. But what I find interesting is that there are still, I feel like so many women in particular, maybe carrying this burdened energy of feeling like, well, do I really belong here? And right. am I really good enough to mm-hmm. go and do this particular thing, you know, or start this business? Yeah. Even though, again, that that's shifting. It's starting to shift in terms of, like I said, like there's a lot more women now more than men in some right. of these environments. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's addressing and having acknowledgement to both the cultural burden energy that just being born as a woman in this country that we could just have, you know, based on, again, like that whole history of stuff that has happened to women. And now with the science of like epigenetics and things like that, like they have scientific proof to show like how these, you know, traumatic, stressful experiences over time does get passed down. Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the family and culturally and all of that. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And there can also still be the personal experience that the person is having directly in their own life, you know, and maybe that's like a person in their family saying to them at some point when maybe they were like 10 years old and they shared like, oh, I would love to be a psychologist one day and get my doctorate and a male maybe person in the community or in their family goes, oh, no, you're never going to be able to do that you know, or women don't do that Mm -hmm. or, or, Oh, you know, you don't need to go do that. How about this? Right. Right. You know, type thing. So, yeah, I feel like it's definitely a mixture of both Mm -hmm. cultural burden, legacy burden and personal experience. Mm -hmm. And has that happened for you? Like, was there a part of you at mm-hmm. some point earlier in your life or even now let's say that that maybe held that burden belief of again like i don't belong here or mm-hmm. i can't go do that or i'm not good enough to do that like kind of questioned it out of fear mm-hmm. which then maybe impacted you in any way from like pursuing
1: mm-hmm. certain
0: things is that something you relate to at all
1: yeah for sure for sure um and i i i love the way that you just conceptualized those kind of multiple burdens and i feel like that's a great way of framing what the experience is that it does happen at the cultural legacy and and kind of personal level so i'm going to i'm going to be kind of mulling on that i love that um and and for sure that has been something that i've you know personally experienced i would say you know one maybe particular example of of this for me where i felt like that Kind of acute imposterism. Actually, two places. So, an early place being when I was um, when I was twelve years old. I um, started at a new school, and it was a you know a, a school that like had was a gifted school. So I kind of walked in knowing that like this peer group was going to be people that were, you know, in general, pretty academically advanced. And, um, I clearly had like qualified to get in by like doing the testing, et cetera. And yet like very acutely felt like I did not belong and, and had lots and lots of fear about, um, and this is where what makes imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, kind of a specific or unique experiences. It's not just like, I can't do this, but it's more so that I feel like I'm going to be found out. Like I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to be discovered as like this interloper or someone who's, mm-hmm. almost, there's almost this kind of like moralistic component to it. Like I'm doing something wrong by being here um, as opposed to like, Oh, I just can't hack it. Right. And so I definitely felt that. And as I, I don't think I had thought about this actually until this conversation and what you were just saying about some of the like cultural burdens. Um, But, you know, some of that was, I had always been told like, you know, you're really smart, you can do great things. So it wasn't that that direct message had been given to me, but on the other hand, I was looking at this school who had only, a couple years before i started there admitted girls so it had always been an all boys school oh
0: interesting entire
1: history and so i wasn't the first you know class of girls there were other girls ahead of or or you know mixed gender classes ahead of me but just even thinking right now about how the the school, this kind of institution had been built sort of for a different population, you know, for with this kind of history and legacy and traditions that were built on people that, you know, inherently I knew were not me, made, was one layer of that experience for me. In addition to kind of questioning, you know, am I really smart enough? Can I do this? What will happen? And for me, I think it was, you know, what will happen if, you know, to maybe use some parts language, I think, um, you know, historically having, having gone or at that point, having had gone to, um, you know, more traditional schools where I had been able to like manage academically really well and be at the top of my class, then suddenly to be in a situation where I knew it was possible that I wasn't going to have that kind of affirmation and, and that what would happen if that identity was not, you know, something that, could lean on as a, you know, kind of protector for myself. So, so that was like a historical experience of it. And, but what was really interesting to me is that I'd said actually in that blog post, I think that you had read or my newsletter post, you know, it's actually been a really long time since I felt like an imposter. And I think in part that's because, you know, personal work that I've done, but also like really cultivating, like who I spend time with and the environments and all of that. And then, you know, a week or two later after sending that out, I had the experience last week of, um, I finally, I've been thinking about this concept. I'm noticing it's even like hard for me to say it out loud, but <laughs> of right, I would like to write a book. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about that and, but it's been one of those things I've like never wanted to say out loud. Uh, and I noticed how much it was rooted in this. And so I had a mm. conversation with a a couple conversations last week with like writing coaches and 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 things like that just to explore some options and it was like that imposter feeling came like flooding mm-hmm. back and it was like the first time I had really felt it so acutely in a long time and I was like oh there it is like yeah, yeah certainly not gone but so I've been really just trying to kind of work through like what that means at this point and, you know, mm-hmm. how I can respond to that and what I do with that. But yeah, it's there, which mm-hmm. is, it, I always think it's, you know, it's kind of, it's uncomfortable, but it's also cool to be able to like experience it in real time and be like, okay, what am I telling other people to do? Like, here's right, what, right?
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I always find that fascinating when something comes up in our personal life and professional life that leads us to what we call an IFS, like a trailhead
1: yeah, down I the
0: road to a, Yeah. To a part of us that maybe we hadn't connected with in a while, or we didn't realize it was still connected to something, you know, maybe yeah. connected to something deeper from our past still that mm. is again, like a part of us that's carrying still a belief of like, well, wait, I, I don't belong in this area. You know, right. Right. I I'm not worthy enough to write a book or yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You know, yeah. type thing. And that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, and that's what. And yeah, you sharing that story, I really resonate with that. And because recently for me, it was because I I hadn't really felt that either for a while. Like I worked for ten years as a therapist. I got a university. I got really comfortable with what I was doing. You know, and then eventually I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna start experimenting with a private practice, but it was in a very safe way. I would still like had my full time job. Mm-hmm. And I was like dipping my toe, you know, like I would see like a client or two on the weekends and, you know, and all of that. And, and I did have to work on parts of me that were questioning, you know, cause I never had to charge someone before. Cause I was always working for another like company and they were yeah. handling that. Right. And so then it was working with parts of me that were like, wait, like, am I worthy enough to charge, to mm-hmm. charge money, you know, like for my time and my knowledge. And then, you know, eventually got into full-time private practice which i'm in now and then i had this idea of doing a podcast
1: Uh which
0: again was like not something talked about in graduate school (laughs) of like how to be a therapist and a podcasting host host you know and that took for me over a year of like i contacted like a podcasting person that Uh like specializes in helping people like a podcasting coach and yeah. um met with that person and then like bought the package like with them but didn't yeah. do anything for a year yeah a year yeah. because again it was like i i really had me personally to take time to address the parts of me that were blocking that and again i think it was like these protector parts in which we would call imposter syndrome or phenomenon that create doubt and hesitation Uh for fear of if I, if I go for it, I might feel not good enough or have that validation of that burden belief of I can't do this or I suck at this. Or uh, for me personally, it was a part of me that was scared of disappointing people,
1: Mm. which was
0: connected to my past. And so it was connecting with that. Right. And then like, once I could really address that, and help that part of me not have to carry that burden, feeling and belief anymore. Then all of a sudden I really felt this opening yeah. and this spaciousness of like, all right, I'm going to go for it.
1: Ready enough. yeah, <laughs> I'm going
0: to go for it. And I feel like that's kind of like the journey that you're on right now in regards yeah, to this totally. book. Right. Yeah.
1: I very much relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, probably a lot of like similar, like blocking beliefs or, um, Yeah different protective parts.
0: Right. Yes. And again, they have positive intention and
1: yeah, trying to keep us safe,
0: trying to keep us safe. Right. Yeah. And so what are some recommendations in which someone could recognize maybe in regards to like a business venture, you know, maybe there's someone listening right now that has this idea of like wanting create to create their own private practice or to write a book or, you know, something that's, Yeah, activating these parts in them that are creating, activating this doubt and this hesitation. What are some things that you would, I guess, talk about in regards to Mm -hmm. helping someone bring awareness to that and also like what direction they can go into helping to address that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like to start with But even before getting into like, what are, what are maybe some of the barriers internally or externally really focusing in on the, the sort of why and the values uh, that someone is carrying. So, you know, I think that we can get so far from those when we get into the minutia and into like our own, you know, kind of like uh, intellectual, emotional process around like just getting started that we can very easily lose sight of like why we're even doing this thing. And so, and some of us, I think, you know, especially if we operate more from like instinct, et cetera, it's not that we don't have that kind of core value or reason, but we might not have articulated it or made it really explicit for ourselves. Yeah. We know we want to do this thing, but like what's actually driving that. So So I would say first and foremost is like getting really explicit on like what, what is important about this thing that I am considering doing, whether it's, you know, writing the book or, um, starting a practice or a business, um, like, what is it that I'm hoping to accomplish either for the world, for myself, for my family, et cetera. And then getting really clear on that. Or once we get really clear on that, I think make it building in ways that that can continue to be really visible and apparent throughout the process because inevitably these like beliefs and challenges and blocks are going to show up and so we need something to kind of be the anchor um so so that's what i think is sort of first and foremost in this process um and then once we are really clear on that i think doing a, a a clear inventory on what are the things that are showing up for us as potentially, um, you know, beliefs that we're carrying around, whether those, you know, come from us or a direct experience or, or legacies or, you know, generational trauma, et cetera, which I think takes obviously a lot of introspection and like quiet reflection. And sometimes that's the opposite. Like that's not as, uh, That's kind of the opposite of our instincts when it comes to like doing something new. Like we just wanna, you know, do all the things and we're taking on this big project and again, getting bogged down in the details. Um, So I think building in that reflection time, whether that's like by working with a therapist or a coach or doing it on your own or journaling, et cetera, or spending some time in nature, just doing things that allow us to like quietly get in touch with like what those things are so that then. We have that awareness of it and we can decide how we need to move through that, mm-hmm. um, what that's going to require of us. And that's where it's going to, you know, potentially look different um, depending on what's there, but we can be clear about what we're facing.
0: Yeah. I, I like what you're saying there about getting clear about like the intention, the values. And cause I know one thing that was kind of helpful for me in this whole podcasting thing was hearing one of my IFS uh, people that I see monthly for consultation, uh, Tammy Sellenberger, she has a great podcast. She's been doing it for like four or five years. And, you know, I was working with her about some of these parts and stuff within me. And, and she was like, bottom line, she's like, you know, you're just wanting to share information with people and Mm -hmm. someone out there is wanting to hear that, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, you have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And so tell that story. And it was just kind of like this reminder of like this permission, yeah. of like yeah, you know that's right. I, I I have this curiosity, just like you have this curiosity about whatever topic you're wanting to write about in this book, mm-hmm. and that's an intention, right? Of like wanting to share that, and some knowing that someone out there, even if it's just one person, right,
1: exactly. that could be
0: game changing for them.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: so yeah. I, I I agree. I agree, and. And having, I feel like that balance of both introspection insight and, you know, recognizing like the parts within someone that maybe help the system feel a little bit more comfortable. Like for me, I have like planning parts Mm -hmm. that are like, okay, yeah, let me, like I said, like contact this podcasting person that I know I can like collaborate with and ask questions to and, um, You know, I know that I can take as much time as I want to like write some of this stuff out in terms of how I'd like it to look and, and also having, like I said, that, that balance of that work with a therapist or a coach of getting deeper about the connection of those burden beliefs that are there that are, that are maybe holding us back in a lot of ways.
1: I just want to like underscore, I think for both of us, um, because I think that this relates so much to like uh, what's helpful in managing some of those imposter feelings is, you know, both of us uh, connected with a kind of coach or expert mentor, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think that that is an invaluable thing to do. So even like separate from maybe somebody like a therapist or a coach that's sort of working on the internal stuff, I think having somebody who's like done the thing, um, particularly for us as women is so valuable because- Instilling, you know, the the knowledge obviously and the confidence, and it's also like someone's someone's validation to say, like, I see in you the ability to do this, and maybe you're overcomplicating it, mm-hmm. you know, and you're you're sort of overthinking it, but I know that you can do it. And sometimes I think that's like so key is just to have someone in our corner. Who oh yeah, source
0: and yeah. someone because both of those people, both Tammy and my podcasting coach, are both female identified, and so it's. that as you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, totally. And I don't think I consciously, maybe I did. I think it was like an unconscious thing where like, I saw Jennifer, who's my podcasting person. And I, and I, I I was just drawn to her. I was like, oh yes, I want to contact her, you know? And same thing with Tammy. It's like, I want to work with her. Mm -hmm. And I think you're exactly right. It's this finding people that you can relate to, whether it's they're female identified or whatever right. it might be that can right. really help someone's system feel more understood and also yeah. like encouraged of like, oh, you did this, you right. know, having right. that role model of like, yeah, you did this and you're doing this. And that means there's a possibility that I can too. Mm, and I think, yeah, that's so powerful. So yeah, thank you for, you know, talking about this today. Cause again, I feel like it's something that specifically women, yeah, experience a lot mm-hmm. in regards yeah. to especially business and yeah.
1: yeah. And so,
0: you know, as we come towards the end of our talk today, do you care to share a little bit about like in terms of anything services that you want to mention about your practice, Gallia collaborative that you'd like to mention to listeners that you all are offering? I know we talked a little bit about it already, but anything else yeah. you wanna let people know?
1: Sure. Yeah. Just in terms of maybe some things we have coming up, um, we are doing, so one of the things that we do, um, is called fair play and I know it's becoming a little bit more wide, widely known, but it's a system of really trying to rebalance some of the gender roles at home, um, kind of in domestic life and with, with partners and couples, um, and so we do workshops around that and teaching people how to how to have a more balanced home life. Um, so we have a workshop coming up for that um which all the all the information about that can be found on our website, which is Galliacollaborative.com And we also do a lot of, I mean relates to this some of what we were just talking about with um, being able, especially when we struggle with imposter syndrome or, and of those kinds of feelings to have a community around us and um other people who've kind of been in the trenches. So we do something called Thrive Circles, which are are small groups of women, usually, you know, eight, eight or so women who come together around kind of a shared experience, whether that's like business ownership or infertility, or we have, we have them for lots of different kind of realms. Um, but that can be a really powerful, I think, antidote to just like the isolation that you feel. Cause that's what, Mm -hmm. that's what what we're talking about is all about is like feeling like I'm the only one I'm going to be found out when we think out, wait look at all these other people that are experiencing the same thing and we can really support mm-hmm. each other so so those are two things I I would love to mention and share with people
0: yeah beautiful and then of course individual therapy you yep. mentioned couples therapy family therapy all the things yep all the amazing awesome. things and then people can find uh find you at Gaiacollaborative.com and Instagram which is at Gaia collaborative correct
1: right yeah that's perfect.
0: okay and if people are interested in Signing up for your newsletter—can they do that on your website?
1: You can do that through the website. Um, not just there's a banner at the top, so that would be great. That's probably the best way to stay in touch.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: All right, everyone. We will talk to you later. Bye.